Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. While we typically look at the movies over this short podcast series, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and myself will take a look at The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So not technically a movie, but streaming on the Disney platform, so that's close enough during this pandemic. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy this episode, Megan and I take a look at episode three of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Megan Doherty for our continued exploration and love to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, in this series, we go through each episode. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to talk about it if you want to wait and watch it and then come back and check it out on this podcast. Uh, this is your chance to do so. So, Megan, our synopsis in this story is that uh, I.O. Uh, from Wakanda gives Bucky eight hours to use Zemo before the Wakandans take him for having killed King T'Chaka uh, in, uh, I think, the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, Zemo finds... <clears throat> Uh, helps find helps find Morgenthau at a funeral for her adoptive mother, where uh, the new Captain America and Hoskins intercept them. Wilson speaks with Morgenthau alone and attempts to persuade her to end the violence, but a ever impatient new Captain America, i.e. Walker, intervenes and a fight ensues. Zemo destroys most of the serum before he is apprehended by Walker, who secretly takes the last vial. Ayo and two other members of the Dora Malaj come for Zemo, but Walker refuses to hand him over. In the ensuing fight, Dora Malaj humiliate Walker and Zemo escapes. Morgan Thal then threatens Sarah, Sam's sister, forcing Wilson to meet her so she can attempt to persuade him to join the Face Smashers, Flag Smashers. Walker and Hoskins engage other members of the Flag Smashers, leading to another fight in which Morgan Thal accidentally kills Hoskins and enraged by his friend's death, uh, the new Captain Walker takes the serum and uses his shield to kill Nemo in one of the most gruesome scenes I've seen in a while. Um, and I watch a lot of gruesome scenes. Uh, and Nico's one of the flag smashers in front of a group of horrified spectators who film his action. So uh, lots to unpack. Where do you want to start with some cookies and other cool stuff? Uh, well, I'd love to start with just that that opening scene of this episode. Um, this was, I think, one of the sweetest and most tender scenes from Marvel so far that I've watched. And it was uh, the deprogramming of Bucky in Wakanda, hearing those code words for the first time and and not reacting to them and not being controlled by them. Um, and I think that, that answers our question from last week. Was he becoming the Winter Soldier again? No, he was free. The Dora Milaje had freedom. Um, and I thought that was a really wonderful way to open up the show. The second most beautiful thing I've ever seen is the look on Ao's face when John Walker introduced himself to her. Um, that was delightful. Um, 
More broadly, though, I think the really big cookie and cool stuff that I noticed from this episode just was resonance from one character to another from within this show and from kind of the other episodes in the series, like in, in the Marvel universe. Um, so it came up uh, in, in a whole bunch of different places. The way that new captain kind of bludgeoned uh, that flag smasher to death was similar to how the original Captain America had disabled the armor of Iron Man in Civil War. But it really also exemplified the differences between them and how those two things ended. Um, other places that resonance came up is that Sam and Carly now have both said that the shield should maybe be destroyed uh, at different times kind of in, in their conversations they've had with each other and with others. And even talking about um, uh, the Turkish delight, the dessert, um, Nemo, uh, Zemo mentioned that his son, it was his favorite. And in the very first episode, the gentleman who Bucky was trying and failing to apologize to was reminded of his son by the dessert that he liked the most. So there's just all of these callbacks. And I think the, the resonance between characters and the way things uh, and what has been happening, uh, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most in this episode. So in addition to those points, there was a couple of others that I had. Mm-hmm. And the first one is the name of the episode, The Whole World is Watching. And this doesn't come from Marvel. This actually comes from American political history. Mm-hmm. In 1968, in the Democratic National Convention, there were uh, opposing forces gathered in Chicago, generally around the anti- U.S. anti-war uh, movement for the war in Vietnam and the other. And the other, unfortunately, was the Chicago Police Department. And there ensued a riot um, outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters while the convention was ongoing. The ch- crowd chanted, the whole world is watching. That was the most seminal political moment for me because I grew up in a very conservative household in a very conservative town in a very conservative state, at which point I always thought the police were right. But something struck me that was not right about the police uh, rioting for what were then peaceful protesters. Uh, The second thing was actually um, the scene with um, Walker and Hoskins uh, when they had a drink after having their butts mm-hmm. whipped uh, by the Dormelage. In a great fight. <laughs> in a great fight. Um, first of all, that scene was in, um, the location was in the same place as a scene from the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, the, they were having a, some sort of refreshment. It was unclear if it was alcoholic or, or simply tea. Nevertheless, they talked about, would you take the serum? And Hoskins says, well, of course I'd take it. And then he says, it makes you more of what you already are. Well, that harked back to the first Captain America movie, where Stanley Tucci, the mad scientist who created the serum, basically said that to Steve Rogers. So I found that uh, really interesting. And then you touched on this point a little bit, but uh, the two Captain Americas in Rage. And I was trying to think of a time I saw true rage from um, the first Captain America. And you didn't see it very often. And, and I, I thought if it was going to happen, it would be around something triggering his memory of Peggy Carter. But he didn't. And you're right, it was, it was when he um, went after Iron Man. So the, uh, we did see some rage from Steve Rogers. Uh, very little. He usually kept it under control. But it was there... Just under the surface. Yeah, and, but it was also, it was, you know, it was controlled and for a good end and stopped as soon as its purpose had been served, you know, without undue loss of life. 
So uh, at the uh, the end of episode three, uh, we both had a delicious amount of time speculating if Sharon <laughs> Carter was the power broker. Uh, in this episode, it really appeared she was not the power broker. First, there was a scene where it was ambiguous when they asked her for help. And then there was a second scene near the end where the power broker wanted the serum back. And that got me thinking that first, she wasn't the power broker, but second, is she now undercover for S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because you mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, as one of the cookies, and S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, has a history of taking uh, disgruntled or disgraced agents from other U.S. intelligence agencies and bringing them into the fore. So I'm beginning to wonder if maybe she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. operative in all of this. I mean, her fighting skills were sharp, as if they had been practiced. Recently. So, <laughs> I mean, that's possible. I, I've been kind of thinking maybe, uh, you know, because she said the power broker's mad. So that either meant that she knew him but wasn't that person or she was just doing a double fake out um, and was just deflecting from the fact that she actually is the power broker. Um, uh, I hadn't thought she might be a double agent from S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that that would be really cool and make a lot of sense. Uh, the second thing is I am beginning to be troubled by the arc of violence we see from the Flag Smashers. So in episode one, we saw them outside a bank and getting into a, a fairly tame fight. Um, then we saw them, I think in episode three, blow up a GRC building with hostages mm-hmm. still inside. And more than one died in the ensuing fire. Uh, here we go to if not premeditated murder, certainly killing. And um, that's where uh, the sidekick, Hoskins, gets killed. And and it's not clear she intended to do it. Nevertheless, when you're fighting, you hit somebody hard. That's certainly an outcome that's that's reasonable. So I'm beginning to wonder, um, are they, were they always that violent or are they evolving? I think they're evolving. And I also think none of them really intended for this to be their life's work. Um, you know, I, I, I think they probably had an initial strategy for how they wanted to get their demands met and make the change that they wanted to in the world, and then stuff started not working. And then you've got a bunch of, you know, young adults that none of them looked older than what, 24, 25, uh, dealing with being a superhero functionally against every government in the world, trying to achieve this goal of helping people, but not having like the strategic or the tactical background to do that in a way that is nonviolent. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want them to be bad guys really badly, <laughs> but you know, they're killing innocent hostages. This is not a good look. I was really intrigued by the scene between Sam and Carly and Sam set it up incredibly well by talking about his work um, as a counselor and helping soldiers um, integrate back into society after their uh, horrific war experience experiences and that he felt that would give him an ability to connect with Carly. I think we saw some of that, but it was clear that he was not playing her. uh, She was playing him, or at least they were playing each other and that she was able to articulate an argument about why society was still unfair. And of course we having known what happened to Sam in the first episode uh, where he didn't get credit for being blipped for five years when he was trying to get a simple bank loan, um, pointed to the inherent racial injustice and unfairness, certainly in the American system and probably in, in many other countries as well. Um, 
do you think that they are closer in spirit than we uh, recognize, or do you recognize that they really may be two two heads of the same coin? Yeah, I, I think they were very they're very much aligned. I think I think like fundamentally they want the same things for people and for themselves and for their their countries and and for others to to be able to experience. They do approach it in really really different ways. Um, and I think Sam's background uh, in you know dealing with trauma and helping to process trauma um, is given him a, a, an insight and an awareness that I think most people don't have. And too bad they didn't send New Captain America at him first. I'm just going to put that out there because <laughs> New Captain America is not a well man. Um, but I think I think Sam has a lot more sympathy than he ever expected to for the Flag Smashers and particularly for Carly because it. I think they really did connect, and I, I don't think she was playing him 100%. Um, I think she wanted to trust him. I think they want help, <laughs> um, but there's no one they can trust, and now obviously they can't trust Sam because they brought Captain America right to their door. Too troubled me because it was clear it was clear Walker was going to screw it up, and he did. Where's his handler? Why does he have no handler? <laughs> He's off the reservation for sure. <laughs> uh, but um, does she realize that she can't really engage with Sam without one of these other characters showing up. Is that going to be too great a risk for her now? I, I think that was probably a one-shot deal, especially after the bludgeoning. Um, I don't think there's going to be any more kind of two-way trust between any American-based organization and the Flag Smashers from here on out. That's, I think that's done. <laughs> and then, of course, the uh, you're right about the fight scene. It was a fabulous fight scene in uh, <laughs> Oh, hotel room between the uh, Dormelage, uh, Cap, uh, the new Cap, uh, and then uh, Bucky and Sam. And they were not trying to kill each other, maybe trying to disable each one another, but the Wakandans came out on top. Plainly, plainly, as if there was ever doubt. <laughs> that really led me to uh, think about what's the Dormelage's role in all this? We have not seen them... We've seen them be uh, the guards, security guards. We've seen them to be the Imperial Guard, whatever you may want to call it, uh, the Praetorian Guard even, uh, and protectors. But now they've moved to some sort of more looking for justice. They're, they're seeking Zemo. They've made that clear. They want him to face justice in Wakanda, although I can't imagine it's going to be anything other than an execution and probably a long, slow execution. Uh, I feel like there'd be a trial in Wakanda. Oh yeah, so I I, I feel like there'd be a trial, trial. there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't see on the spot. I, like yeah. <laughs> well, do you think their they've their role has evolved, or was that role there all along? Because this is now it was two or three years from the death of King Jakarta mm-hmm. Jakarta to the blip, and now it's five years uh, plus from the blip. So we're now at possibly eight to 10 years or, or maybe six years. I recognize that in international war criminals, there's uh, no statute of limitations, but they're seemingly waiting a long time uh, to go after Zemo. At the end of Black Panther, right, where, where it was really for the first time that you know, Wakanda was engaging with the other world, with, with the rest of the world, kind of with the full might of their amazing technology. Um, and then the blip happened, which probably kept everyone quite busy for the majority of that time. And now, all of it, like Zemo has been unavailable up until then. So maybe this has just kind of always been in the works or on the to-do list, but it's been backburnered for other very good reasons. Um, 
<laughs> and now it's, it's a convenient time to um, catch this murderer to come to justice. They just got to that point on the punch list and it's time. We all have to do lists. <laughs> and then uh, I wrote this question down and the more I thought about it, I'm not sure it's a valid question. Uh, or it's a valid question, but I'm not sure uh, there's a difficult answer. And that's, of course, or for me, was is the new Captain America damaged goods? I think we both agree that. And then I started to think, well, you can't be a superhero and be damaged goods. But then I thought, well, what about Wolverine? What about Batman? What about any of them? Are, are they all damaged goods in some way? Well, I, I, I was really glad you, you, you wrote down and sent that question, actually, because I, I was... The last thing I expected from this episode was to leave with more empathy for New Captain. Um, but I feel like I really did. Um, because when he, he was talking about when he was serving in Afghanistan and he got all these medals and rewards for the worst day of his life, he probably had to do something horrifying to earn them. And he gets all of this praise. And he was hoping that being the captain would make him better and it would help him just be better. And he just keeps losing and losing and losing. This guy has probably never really lost before. Um, and, and it probably has, like I said before, he's not well. There's almost certainly some kind of PTSD. Uh, and he's out there with no support, no backup, no one to run ideas by except Hoskins, um, who's down for a fight. Um, and just everything he believed about what was going to happen because he took this role has absolutely and fundamentally not happened. And then he has a chance to become a super soldier and it makes him all twitchy. Uh, he, he was terrifying by the end and he's completely lost control of himself and it's his fault and he's responsible for it. But there were a lot of factors that went into that and that, that I found kind of sad. So what does that do to the Captain America brand now that he has uh, basically decapitated someone in public with his shield videoed for the entire world? It's more in line with reality, um, and they definitely need um, uh, more highly paid PR professionals. Uh, but I mean, it's going to be. I, it was so fascinating that scene at the end uh, with everyone with their phones out uh, and the whole world watching, and then that awful kind of upshot angle with the bloodstained shield. Um, I mean, it's, it's a pretty bad PR crisis, not just for Captain America himself, but for the country as a whole, and for Shield, anyone associated with the brand at all. Uh, it's, it's, that's going to take some time to recover from. I'm glad you mentioned that final scene with the shield. <sighs> and for me, that was, we really didn't see the body as, as graphically as we've described it. Certainly not decapitated, Good, <laughs> but the shield about one third covered in blood, just dripping off was as gruesome a, uh, shot camera shot as I could, I can imagine. And that was just... It was it's gritty yeah, for Marvel. very gritty. And uh, it was uh, incredibly powerful watching that. So uh, obviously a lot to unpack in this one. We still had our action scenes. Uh, I can't emphasize how cool the fight scene with the Dormelage was. In a confined space with um, spears. And they... Uh, I don't know how they threw a spear through his arm guard like that and pinned his arm with the shield down, but that was a, a very slick special effect as well. Awesome. Yes. So, and even, even right at the beginning where like the first, um, uh, Norman Lazar just was came out of nowhere and shot the spear. Oh, so, uh, they definitely amped up the action. Uh, Sharon Carter's obviously going to have more roles to play in this series. And from what I'm reading, we're going to meet some new characters and see some old ones. So, uh, can't wait till uh, episode five. Same here. 
This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Megan and I will be back together next week where we take a look at the next episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You should check out some of the other offerings on the Compliance Podcast Network. We have a new offering of Coffee and Regs, and we have Mo Forecast, the podcast from the Morrison and Forrester Law Firm, hosted by fan favorite from the FCPA Compliance Report, James Kukios. Thanks again for listening. Please join us again next week. This has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.